Welcome to How It's Musically Made, a podcast dedicated to redefining the art song tradition. I'm your co-host, Ben. And I'm your co-host, Maggie. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are following the journey of three groups of poet, composer, pianist, and vocalist as they each work together to create an original art song. And today we're meeting group one. We'll be chatting with poet Bree Griffith, mezzo-soprano Vina Akamamakia, composer Nikki Sohn, and pianist Nathan Chung. First, we'll chat with poet Bree Griffith. Bree earned her BA in creative writing from Carlisle University, where she studied with a poet named Jan Beatty, who I did an artist residency with at Brush Creek in Wyoming. And I talked to Jan, asked her if she knew any poets, and she recommended Bree. She's currently an MFA candidate at Florida International University, FIU, in Miami, Florida. So yeah, welcome to the podcast, Bree, and tell us about yourself and your journey. How did you get into writing and poetry? Thank you for having me. This is my first podcast. Um, nice. <laughs> as far as like writing in general, I've been writing my whole life. Um, and whenever I sit and like really think about that, like it really has been since before I even knew how to like spell words. I was just writing letters, writing mm-hmm. squiggly lines, whatever. I really liked to write and have paper on me at all times. And that just kind of stayed with me. I was writing creatively, like in elementary school, short stories, things like that. But as far as poetry entering my life, that was really my first year in college. So I went into college as a creative writing major because I knew I wanted to write, but I didn't know what genre I would want to focus on. I thought maybe fiction, but I wasn't sure. I just knew I wanted to write. And I was so excited that creative writing was a major because I was like, oh my gosh, I can declare that. That's great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I met Jan Beatty at Carlo University, which is where I went to school. And she introduced me to contemporary poetry. And through reading my work in her introductory course in 2015, she was like, I think you're a poet, man. I love that image of a kid drawing squiggly lines and how that connects to becoming a poet and becoming a writer. This, This podcast is all about music and writing together. And when you think of a musician starting when they're younger, you know, it's usually like a child goes to a piano and then immediately right there, you know, that's the music happening, whether they know what they're doing or not. Yeah. Um, It's sort of like uh, in cartoons where people are writing, but they're, I'm thinking of like Dexter's Laboratory, if you're familiar, (laughs) where Dexter would just like write squiggly lines on paper, but it was like his you know, his work. And I was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. That's great. So can you tell us about what you focus on in your writing? I use pop culture a lot as like a vehicle to discuss loss and family trauma. I'm taking a lot of like imaginative leaps in my work where the speaker is in the real world, but then she's also imagining a better life for herself with like new family, new people. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of also how we engage with media and we look for ourselves in movies, TV shows. Like we watch TV, we listen to music and we try to like understand ourselves. I like sketch comedy a lot. Um, Sometimes I use like a hermit crab shell essay, which is like taking a form that's like traditionally non-literary and making it literary. An infomercial, I'll write poems about that. I'll kind of take on the voice of like this really absurd like situation. And so you mentioned sketch comedy. Any specific people that have really influenced you over the years? I really like John Mulaney recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the way he performs. It's very exaggerated. He moves around on the stage a lot. I like that. Like, and just in terms of like reading my work as well, not just like the writing of it, but like, how do I want to 
present this work to an audience. Someone in writing, I was introduced to Khadija Queen last year, who she has a book called I'm So Fine. It's basically a book about the speaker meeting celebrities in different parts of her life and like what she was wearing and how those encounters worked. And it's just like a book of prose poems. But it's like also largely about the way this person was treated by people who have more power, more money, status, things like that. So I really was interested in her work. And then also Jan Beatty. I mean, she's a mentor. She's a big poetry hero of mine, but she's also just not afraid to say stuff in her work yeah. and, and just really go there. Having her in my life, when I first was introduced to poetry, that's like, I started just going there and I really haven't stopped. <laughs> Definitely. And having a single mentor like that, who you sort of resonate with is so important as an artist, like in any field. Yeah. Also just to have somebody who's like critically engaging with your work mm -hmm. is, I mean, valuable. And just like someone who sees what you're trying to do and is helping you shape your own voice like she was just great for me absolutely yeah so i want to go back to a little bit about your writing specifically um mm -hmm. i know you mentioned a lot about the content of of what you write about um i'm wondering if you can tell us about your style yeah so right now one of my teachers is denise Hamill, and she loves form so whenever i'm in a class of hers she'll have us write you know abecedarian poems sonnets She's always finding, um, what is it, golden shovel, different things like that. Um, so I practice form a lot when I'm in class with her, but I tend to lean into free verse. I write poetry the most, but then I also sometimes like will see a poem and think, oh, this could be an essay. So then I'll lean into that. I'm thinking a lot about collage as well and like introducing image, but I like form as a practice of like trying to make something work. Like with a sonnet, with rhyming, it's like, how can I make this work and have it not sound... Like, I'm trying really hard to write a sonnet. Yeah, I think that this overlap between music and writing in terms of form for, for each of those disciplines is, is so interesting. Yeah, and how maybe those disciplines are not as different as we might make them out to be. Right. Could you actually tell us a little bit more about um, a writing workshop and how that works? Yeah, so in grad school, um, the professor will typically give us some kind of guidance, but sometimes not. Um, someone might say, like, you can write a free poem about anything you want. Everyone in the workshop, I would say between eight to 12 people, will bring poems and copies, and then we all get a copy of everyone's poem. And then some order, like maybe alphabetically, will go and we'll read that person's poem. Um, and there are different ways to like actually workshop it, but typically what I'm used to is that the person who's being workshopped won't speak and will just like talk about their work out loud um, and give them like verbal feedback as well as written feedback. And then at the end, they ask questions if we didn't touch on something that they were curious about, and then they get all of our feedback written at the end of the workshop. We don't really have the same approach in music. It's interesting. When we have a performance, it's pretty much done, you know? So I guess, yeah. I guess it's interesting to think of that approach in, in the context of something that's interdisciplinary. It's a culture of feedback, you know, where mm -hmm. it's like built into the program. And I think maybe some of us in music, at least composers, can learn from that approach. You know, I feel like learning how to give feedback and critique is, is something that's extremely important in the arts. I think one downfall or downside is that, you know, you have to sort through a lot of feedback and a lot of differing comments and perspectives. I've definitely been involved in workshops where it's like a smaller groups, so maybe there's three of us, and we're just looking at each other's work rather than the entire eight to 12 people 
class mm -hmm. plus the professor. I tend to like smaller groups better. We have more time to focus on pieces. Like we only have so much time in a class to look at one poem or one essay. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly what we're trying to emulate here a little bit in terms of having these smaller collaborative groups. Well, thank you again so much. This is really, we're so happy to have you with us on this project. No, I'm excited. You know, this will be my first time or one of my first times working um, with people who are interdisciplinary. Well, we're happy to have you on board. Thank you. See ya. All right. Take care. Next, we have mezzo-soprano Vina Akamamakia. Vina and I were both graduate students at the Eastman School of Music, and she has since relocated from Rochester to Boston. Vina, thank you so much for being part of this project. I'm really excited. I'm excited too. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about your musical background and how you got started? So my first experience with music in general was through church choir, but with um, more classical music outside of church, my dad won tickets to go see the Nutcracker. That was my first experience ever seeing anything classical music. And I was just mesmerized, especially by the violin. From that concert, I begged my dad to let me learn how to play the violin. So I played the violin for a few years. But ultimately, when I got a bit older, I decided that I would rather do choir instead. Choir just had more things I was more familiar with as a child. And so I was just more drawn to that initially. Since then, I've been in choir and began taking solo voice lessons in high school and beyond that to get my degrees that I have currently. So since you've sort of focused in on the voice, have you developed any areas of interest, composers that you like to perform or styles? For operatic music, I love, I love Verdi. Verdi is one of my favorite composers. I am actually learning more and more of his arias during this quarantine time, which has been helpful because it's given me a little something to work towards and motivate myself towards. But mm -hmm. I love the music of Verdi. Aida is by far one of my favorite operas. And so to perform the role of Omneris is a dream, absolute dream. But um, outside of opera, I am a musical theater stan. I love to see it. I love to hear. I love to be around it, even though it's not particularly something that I sing often. Right now, one of my favorite art song composers is Florence Price. I've known about her for a while, and I know more recently she's gotten more attention as far as some of her work was found in somebody's home they moved into. And so once they saw that, they had the inclination to bring it to music school. And from there, a lot of her works that weren't really known have been open to the public and been seen. And so that's amazing. Mm -hmm. But no, she's one of my favorite composers. We mm -hmm. have a little backstory as well. She's from Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm from Little Rock, Arkansas, so I'm always like, I see you, Florence, oh, seeing wow. <laughs> me. So, like, I yeah. appreciate you. Here's Vina performing Florence Price's Resignation with pianist Evan Ritter. So 
going off of the you know people that you're interested in performing and other composers are there mm-hmm. other musicians or artists um, people performing today or in the past that influence you when I first started taking voice lessons my voice teacher was very adamant that I learn about the different types of opera singers like Fox and everything like that but also learn that there are black opera singers because when I first got into it I had heard about it through choir and I didn't really know much about opera but my teacher did and she was very like I said she was very adamant that I look at Jesse Norman, Leontine Price, mm-hmm. Marian Anderson because those are women who are well regarded but also well known in America and after listening to the three women I fell in love with Jesse Norman she's a queen <laughs> her soul rests in peace she's amazing but she's somebody who from the start I look to her and I'm like I know you're a soprano but listen I'm still in awe of you and listen to everything you've ever sung for interpretation and all these other things. But, you know, mm-hmm. that's enough of me fangirling about her. <laughs> um, another artist who I um, fangirl over is Shirley Barrett. She, um, along with Grace Bumpery, are women who were considered Schwischenmetzels, so like, or Schwischenfalk women. Mm-hmm. So they've sung roles in both the mezzo repertoire, but also in soprano repertoire. Um, at this point right now, I'm unclear which one. I think Mezzo started and they sang more Soprano up later. But Shirley Verrett is, especially for Lynn Canto, I listened to her and I'm just like, you are stunning. Um, and a more recent artist who caught my ear is someone named Rianne Bryce Davis. She's a Mezzo as well. She's based in Germany, I believe, just throughout this pandemic and a little bit before she sung some of the same repertoire that I was looking into singing. And so I would see her videos and be like, oh, wow, this is great. Um, and most recently, she came out with this music video for A La Flito to The Afflicted. And it was stunning. And I just like cried. As of recently, as an artist that is still living, she is someone I look to. Since, well, you mentioned um, both opera and art song. I'm wondering if there's a difference for you and how you prepare each, like when you're going to interpret a text for an art song versus going to prepare a role. How do those processes differ for you? I want to say, first off, I think they're about the same. The only thing is longevity of the arc of the piece. Mm -hmm. So when I think about art song, art song typically is in a group set. If not, that one song is encompassing the mood that the composer wanted. Mm -hmm. Versus an opera where the character that you're playing you have the entire opera to show the different moods and different feelings of the character overall in those three hours, four hours. Whereas an art song, you have it's more intimate, I should say. I have a shorter amount of time to get you to know who I am and what I'm talking about in art song. But I also think that's a beautiful thing because sometimes you're able to capture everything in that moment in an art song. I think about art song, especially how it's used in like concert-like settings more. So when I'm preparing for it, I like to theme it, especially when I put them all together. So de- also depending on the languages, I translate my text. If it's in another language and if it's not, I do um, focus on the poet and the poetry behind the text and the time period it was written in. That That's a great transition yeah. into the next question so you know when we're talking about you know getting to know a poet um Mm -hmm. that's perfect for this because we have the poet brie in the room with us virtually at least so this aspect of collaboration is like super important for this project and so we're wondering what 
kinds of collaborations have you been throughout your artistic career? Like, have you worked with composers or other kinds of artistic disciplines? I haven't gotten the chance outside of this to work with a composer as in-depth as we will here. I've had the occasional, I've emailed a composer and asked to perform their piece if they're a living composer. And we've had some dialogue about their interpretations and things like that. Mm -hmm. But that's as far as I've gone with composers. This quarantine actually is when I've done the biggest project. I'm working with this woman named Allison Lewis, and we are creating this project where I'm singing and another male voice is singing. And it involves a multimedia thing. We're going to be using social media aspects. And then also there's going to be a dancer involved. It's telling the story of what happened this past summer through the lens of different people. And for me specifically, in a few of the pieces I sing, I am this young girl navigating this world where her friends aren't realizing the problematic things that they're saying and how it can affect her. Mm -hmm. And throughout the process on my end and through the other male singers end, we will be using poetry by Langston Hughes and the art songs are by Margaret Bonds. Well, that sounds like a really wonderful project and I'll look forward to checking that out. And again, thank you so much for being part of How It's Musically Made. Of yeah. course, thank you all for having me. Next is composer Nikki Sohn. Nikki and I know each other from our time at the Aspen Music Festival and School back in 2018. She's written everything from ballet to opera to Korean traditional music and everything in between. She's currently a doctoral student at Rice University. Here's a clip of Nikki's orchestral work, Bird Up, which is inspired by the sketch comedian Eric Andre. So we have a little bit of a throwback debris in there with the influence of sketch comedy. And this piece is performed by the Sarasota Orchestra. Welcome, Nikki, and thank you so much for joining us and how it's musically made. Yeah, thank you for having me. So to start, can you tell us about your journey as a musician and a creator? I apparently started playing piano when I was like 20 months. When I look at 20 months now, I'm like, that's not even a real person yet. But um, <laughs> my mom tells me that I started reading around that time too. And I was going to kindergarten back then. And I came back home one day and I started playing Brahms Lullaby on the toy piano. And like my parents just like freaked out. And so they got me piano lessons right away. And I got a real piano. And that's sort of how it all began. My primary instrument is piano. And when I was like, in elementary school, um, throughout, like I um, took voice lessons too. So I sang a lot then and um, I started improvising around like nine. 
that just continued and I'm still improvising, but more on the paper now. Nice. Great. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask, do you, do you consider yourself also a performer in any way? Or mostly composing now? So I hate practicing. So <laughs> I don't know. Like it's like hard for me to get myself to practice. So I don't really like to perform. But when I have to, I do. And when that does happen, it's kind of fun. My boyfriend is a cellist. And we actually did a few gigs together over Zoom. <laughs> and so that was pretty fun. So can you tell us about some of the influences you have? You know, you like jazz and other genres. Mm-hmm. So I listen to a lot of jazz. I've been like obsessed with Bill Evans and Chet Baker and Jobim for so many years. And I also listen to a lot of Highest Coyote, Louis Cole and like Noor. I love Jamiroquai. I love Michael Torkey. He's my favorite composer. He actually released a new yeah, album last bean. year. Yeah. It's oh so my good. Gosh. I've been like it's binging so it. Good. It's so good. I, yeah. Like I listened to that like a month straight last year. Yeah. It was so good. Oh, man. Lately, I've been listening to uh, Bee Gees. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So, like, a bunch of different things. How do those influence your your own writing? I mean, at least to me, they kind of have, like, a common um, sound world. They use a lot of triads, but, like, in very interesting and different ways. I like working with triads and, like, seventh chord, and I definitely see that common thing. All of the people that I just mentioned, like, their music tends to be pretty rhythmic and groovy and energetic, and, like, I like music like that. I think I, my music also has that, too. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> so as an individual, when you're composing, what is your general process? I like to have a lot of like limitations for myself before I write anything. So mm -hmm. I want to know about what the piece is going to be about, the duration, how much time I have on the project. Like that's super important to me. Like narrowing down how much like music I have to produce every day almost. These days I've been working a lot with pre-existing melodies. I recently finished an orchestra piece and that was based on a folk tune from Korea, where I'm from. I've been like approaching composing almost like creating different like theme and variations mm -hmm. and like coming up with like different textures and like different ways of like presenting an idea. Um, I improvise a lot too, especially like during the pandemic, I've had to write a lot of solo pieces. I'm sure you have done mm -hmm. the same. Yes. <laughs> I think I, I think I've written like four or five solo cello pieces. <laughs> I worked on like three viola pieces, one by like it, the list goes on. And I've never really thought so much about like single line instruments. So that's been a challenge this year. And like for that, I would really have to like, envision exactly what I wanted in the piece, the sound world, the storytelling aspect. I also like to know a lot about the performer before writing anything, mm -hmm. especially if it's like for a specific person. I ask them what they're interested in, what they like to play, what they don't like playing. Speaking of quarantine and solo pieces, here's a clip from a solo guitar piece that Nikki wrote during the pandemic for guitarist Bak Young Byun.
in general, like, what are your thoughts about collaboration and your experience with working with other artists, both musicians and uh, choreographers or writers? Mm-hmm. I really do like composing and composing is fun, but composing can be super solitary and... I sometimes feel a lot of pressure from just having to make all the decisions by myself and like having to like question myself if this is the best thing I can do. But having collaborators, like I always like to like have somebody that I can ask questions to. And also like I love that they can ask me questions about what I'm doing. I've worked with several different types of collaborators. I've worked with choreographers and I've also worked with writers and um, both sides were really, really different. So as far as the choreographers go, like it was interesting because like the visual aspect of a dance piece is definitely in the foreground of what we do together, like the mm-hmm. uh, finished project. But um, the music actually came first, you know, so I had a lot of say in the timing of events or like the mood and like mm-hmm. tempi, like a lot of different things I could make sort of like the first voice on like what happens in the show. But like Mm. when the performance was happening, music almost became like the background thing, which was interesting. And also like I liked how it took a little bit of pressure off of me in a way. Mm -hmm. And also to see my music through like movements. That was super, super awesome. But with um, writers, it was interesting because like when we perform like opera or song cycles, Music is sort of like the forefront of it, but the writing comes first. Mm-hmm. A lot of um, conversations had to happen before the writers started like writing anything. It was just a, a lot of like different um, adjustments that we had to make rather than like I write the music and then like the dance happens. With the writers, it was more an organic sort of like mm-hmm. way of like growing something together, which is fun. Yeah, yeah, and definitely. And that's something that we, we talked about in our intro podcast. Was typically when, yeah, as you said, like the writing comes first when you're doing an art song. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things that we want to do is challenge that and then maybe take influence from other kinds of collaborations, like working with a dancer, for example, where the writer has input through various parts of the creative process. Mm. Um, and maybe so the writer might come at the end and, and have ideas at maybe at the last minute with how the performers approach the work or something. So that's one of the things that we're trying to do with this podcast. We really look forward to seeing what you and your group come up with and seeing how this creative process unfolds. Me too. I'm super excited. Thank you. Now we'll hear from pianist, improviser, and composer Nathan Chung, who I also know from the Eastman School of Music, where he's currently pursuing his doctoral degree. Before we dive into the conversation, though, let's listen to him play. Nathan recently gave a recital that combined notated classical traditions with improvisation. In this clip, Nathan improvises on Chopin's E-flat major nocturne, Opus 9, number 2, in a jazz style as inspired by Bill Evans. Thank you. 
welcome, Nathan. So we just listened to a bit of your recital. It's amazing how you're able to faithfully emulate the style of Bill Evans. Where does that interest in improvisation and composition, too? You're also a composer. Mm. Where do those two interests come from for you? Ever since I was little, I was kind of hearing music in my head that was not really from anywhere else. Uh, I, I do remember in third grade, I would be wandering around and hearing, I don't know why, but hearing like a rock band in my head. So that's probably the earliest instance I can actually remember of being creative <laughs> in music. And I started actually writing music in high school. I originally wanted my music to be very funny and humorous and joyful. So I right. had like... What was the name of that mm -hmm. first piece? It's so it's it's really ridiculous. It's <laughs> called the the fun filled funny fugue of funniness. Uh, yeah, perfect, it was really really stupid. But the second nice. piece I wrote was called uh, "Sarcastic Vaults." I I used to want to write music that was just like really fun and bombastic and silly. Improvisation basically arose at the same time as I was composing music early on because often when I compose, I'm just playing around. Um, I'm sure many people do this, but they play around at their instrument and then they discover things that they think is worthy to write down. Do you have other compositional influences or from performers as well? Mm, sure. Ravel is a big influence. Uh, the Impressionist style. I've always been like obsessed with chords and <laughs> harmony. Maybe that just comes with being a pianist. I mean, jazz is a big influence too, and they uh, definitely share this idea of like color and chords and stuff like that. I performed a Hiromi Uehara work mm -hmm. in uh, that recital and she influences me because I mean her music is so fresh and uh, really gripping and I, I, I think it really says something and it's also so so personal too and honest I guess. Uh, so it's just all these all these traits really are, are things that I want to emulate. Uh, in my own playing and and music making. Yeah, I'm a big fan as well. I love her trio work with uh, Anthony Jackson and Simon Phillips. Just such tight, virtuosic playing. Mm. So let's move over to collaboration a little bit. Can you tell us about the different types of collaborative projects or ensembles you've been a part of? I mean, probably so many because you're involved in so many different types of music. Yeah. Having gone to Eastman, um, one of my degrees was uh in basically in collaborative piano so i guess by by nature of that you, you already have to work with a variety of partners playing different instruments or singing with different voice types as well but my longest lasting collaboration is um happy dog duo and this is a piano duo with my best friend eric tran we grew up together kind of uh we had the same piano teacher and she she put us together because not for any particular reason other than the fact that we are the most similar in age. So, uh, and that was at that time around age 11 and 12. We, we basically have been playing as a duo since then. Mostly my collaborations are with, with other musicians um, as a duo. And then a little less frequently will be collaborations with other composers or with uh, musicians who might be playing my own pieces. I, I don't really <laughs> collaborate too much with people of other artistic disciplines. That's something I, I really wish I could tap into. Well, you'll do that here. Um, <laughs> you have the fortune of being both a performer and a composer. 
And so you've been on both sides of the coin. How can performers help out composers and how can composers help out mm. performers in a collaboration? Mm-hmm. I really like what uh, you two have been encouraging in this in this uh, series of interviews and podcasts and, and this whole project in general where we're doing this process all together. I guess it is very typical that composer writes a piece, performer then sees already the completed thing and uh, works at it. And I guess asks all the questions, you know, after the after the fact, right? After the whole process of composing has been done. So it's always like this kind of set order, it seems like. I guess it, 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 it'd be really interesting if the norm was more, I guess, well, it would take some planning ahead, but let's say the composer finds the performer in mind uh, mm-hmm. first to play the piece. And you know, reaches out and all of this stuff. And it's like, hey, here here are going to be some checkpoints. Like, I'll have this much of the piece, perhaps. Yeah. So it would be a kind of trade-off and more gradual kind of like, we're in this together uh, process. I, that would that would change the composition. I think that would benefit the performer too, because then, mm-hmm. because the performer would be like, oh, you know, you decided to do this. Oh, I like how this developed. Maybe you could achieve this same concept or like the same intensity, but in a uh, idiomatically more friendly way for, for my instrument or something like that. Right. It's, it's so, a win-win situation yeah. for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I agree. <laughs> yeah, that's, what, that's the goal. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. So yeah, that, that's about it. Yeah. Thanks for your time. Thanks so much to you too. And have a good rest of your evening. Yeah, you too. It's great too. to chat. We'll talk with Bree, Nikki, Nathan, and Vina again in three weeks to learn about their creative process and see what progress they've made so far. Tune in next week to meet our second group of collaborators. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at How It's Musically Made to stay up to date. This project is supported in part by the Paul R. Judy Center for Innovation and Research at the Eastman School of Music. If you would like to sponsor an episode or contribute to the project, send us a message on Facebook or Instagram at How It's Musically Made. Thank you.